Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning in person and online. Welcome as we finish off our series called Indispensable Love. And before I jump into the conclusion for this series, I want to just have a little family talk at home once in a while when when we need to talk about things that are important. We we say, hey, we need to have this family talk, and we sit around the table, and we, we talk about what is critical around the house. And I just want to have a brief family talk with you on the the financial setting of New Hope Community Church. We're in a healthy spot right now financially, but this year, as far as our budget year, we're about $75,000 behind giving to expense. And coming out of COVID, we were uncertain, like, what's it going to look like? Uh, what do we need to add as we get back into the role of things? We're trying to rebuild, obviously, after COVID and that. And so our giving has lagged our expenses. So I just want to encourage you over this last month and a half of our fiscal, which ends June 30th, to just consistently be generous. And uh, if you haven't been able to give, maybe consider giving as well. If you're not able to give online, maybe check out our online options because that's very consistent giving, especially we get into the summer. People are nomadic, right? Uh, They're here and there. Uh, But we just encourage you to continue to support the ministry of New Hope Community Church. And I thank you so much for your generosity overall in your giving. And so that's sort of just the family talk. Just wanted you to know where we're landing right now. We have a month and a half to, uh, you know, tidy that up and go into our new fiscal year, July 1 strong. And so thank you for your goodness towards this ministry. So when I say this phrase, coat of arms, do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, most Americans, including myself, do not know what a coat of arms is. A coat of arms is a symbol that represents specific family or a specific person Originally appearing on shields or flags, coat of arms were once used as a way to distinguish one knight against another knight on the battlefield. That way they know who they're fighting against or they're not taking out their fellow soldiers, right, on the battlefield. It's sort of where we get today uniforms, right? Obviously, the first game of the NFL season The Packers and the Vikings, right? The Vikings wear purple, the Packers wear green. Why? Because you don't want to tackle your teammate. And that's where we get this whole idea of uniforms in the olden days. This system was developed in Northern Europe in the mid-12th century for the purpose of identification and was very widely adopted by kings and princesses, knights, and other major power holders throughout Western Europe. So a coat of arms can help you learn a lot about a person or a lot about that person's family that they came from. So here's an example on the screen of a coat of arms, okay? And the coat of arms have a lot of different distinguishing factors. The colors mean something, like any kind of plants or ribbons mean something. Animals mean something. So the colors in this coat of arm, red means that 
They're warriors and martyrs. They have military strength. Their background, the blue is truth and loyalty. Green, they're filled with hope and joy. They're loyal in their love towards their family. Purple was royal majesty. You know, if there were plants on there, an apple tree was peace. An oak tree was strength and great age. A red rose was grace and beauty, and a white rose was love and faithfulness. If there's animals, like on this one, a bear was strength. A horse is ready to serve king and country. Very loyal. A lion was dauntless courage. A tiger was fearless. If there was an eagle, it was a person of noble character. A fish was a person who was true or a person that was very generous. And a tortoise, who wants a tortoise? You know, I mean, but it showed invulnerability to attack, you know, the, the shell, you know, that there was, there was great strength there. So these coat of arms are passed down. There's another example after this one. These coat of arms are passed down through generations and carry the history of the family from one generation to another. And it's typically passed on to the first son. And if they don't have any sons, then it is passed on to the first grandson of the oldest daughter. And so it was very prestigious to be able to get the coat of arms. Now, the younger siblings or younger brothers didn't get the original coat of arms from the family. So they typically would change theirs to look a little different or make theirs unique in their own way. If a woman married a man, her coat of arms from her family would be combined with her husband's coat of arms to tell their story, to tell their history. So I thought, oh, this is pretty interesting, right? So I'm thinking, well, I'm going to make my own coat of arms, right, for my family. You know, listen that. So here's my coat of arms. You can, can't see it that great and stuff. But I'm from Wisconsin. i born in Madison, grew up in Milwaukee, graduated from there. So Wisconsin, obviously I'm a Packer fan. There's a big G. It's green, you know, so joy, hope, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of thing. Uh, I love evergreen trees here, and I love, that's a birch tree. <laughs> I love birch trees there and that. This is a hair dryer. Why? Because I live with five women. That's, so that's, you know, a little bit of the history, right? Tells my history. There, I'm a Christ follower over here. We love to camp, so I got a little tent there, and we love to vacation in Florida when we can get down there. I got a fish because I live on Scogman Lake, and that also just talks about you know generosity, truth, and that, and I like to live my life that way. Bald eagle, we live on the lake. We got a lot of bald eagles, but I hope that I have some kind of a character, and the, the eagle was like noble character, that kind of stuff there as well. Down here, these are actually too many dachshunds. We got too many dachshunds. Uh, because we live on the lake, one's, the small one who's the runt is named Minnow, and the other one is named Bobber, uh, there and stuff. And that, and they're playing in the grass. And then right here, these are little poops because they leave, you know, they're small, so they leave little poops in the lawn. That, but we clean them up, you know, and stuff. And then this is just water down here and, and blue and stuff like that, uh, which is like truth and loyalty. So, you know, so you can learn a lot about my family, my history, right, from uh, my coat of arms, right? So maybe you want to go home and, and figure yours out. But a coat of arms spoke much about the family and it identified 
specifically what kind of family they were. But in America, obviously, we don't deal with coat of arms, right? It's not this day and age where we have them hanging on our wall or we have them on our sleeves or, you know, we don't carry shields around anymore, right? So what establishes then our story? What establishes then our reputation? When someone says our name, what do people think? What comes to their mind when your name is mentioned, right? I believe what comes to mind when our names are mentioned is typically our abilities. People think about our abilities. But most importantly, what they should think about when our name is spoken is our ability to love. Our ability to love. This is why we have been in this series called Indispensable Love in 1 Corinthians 13. Because the Apostle Paul, who is a follower of Jesus, is saying to us, the greatest action that establishes our story, that establishes what people say about us, is our ability to love as Jesus loved. This is our coat of arms. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us the instructions then for living this God type of love. I mean, there's many things that we purchase that we end up throwing away. We see them as dispensable, right? That's how we view them. I mean, for men, when we buy something, men, what is the first thing we throw away? We throw away the instructions, right? <laughs> We're just like, ah, who needs that, right? Don't we? I mean, seriously. And Paul gets this. That's why like, he's writing the church of Philippi because he's writing them to remind them of the instructions of how to love because he realizes how much we throw things out or we don't pay attention. And so he's reminding the church of Philippi, this is how God has instructed us to love. And we read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to remind you of the instructions here this morning. So listen. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, then I may boast but do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so Paul wants to remind the church of the instructions for love, how it is we should love. And he starts out in those first three verses, and he says, man, as men and women, we are off pursuing all kinds of adventures, trying to gain all kinds of accolades, trying to position ourselves in life. But yet, we are doing it apart from love. We're pursuing all these things, yet we are not pursuing love. And he reminds us that the number one thing that is indispensable for our life, for our world to exist, is love. And so then he goes on, and he gives instructions, and he gives Eight descriptors of what love doesn't do, right? Keep no record of wrongs. And then he gives seven descriptors, the perfect number, seven, of what love does. It's patient. It's kind. And so this morning, I want to just cover the last four descriptors of love. It protects, it trusts, it hopes And it perseveres. And so what does it mean that love always, Paul says, protects? What this means is that it watches out for others. It seeks to give rather than receive. In the Old Testament, God's protection was an expression of his love over Israel because he protected them over and over and over again. We see when the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and God brings the plagues upon the Egyptians so that they can be released. The last plague when God was going to kill the firstborn son of every family, God told the Israelites to protect them. He said, kill a lamb, take its blood and put it over your doorpost. And when the angel of death comes through the city and sees that blood, it will pass over you and not harm you. There's this picture of God's protection. We see this incredible picture of love always protects in the story of Joseph and Mary. When Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant with child by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't go out in public and say, look at this woman. But what does he do? Beside, behind the scenes, he protects her and cares for her. And that is this picture of love always protects He was covering for Mary and caring for her needs instead of exposing her faults to all those who were present. I mean, think about our own lives. How often do we call someone out in public for their fault instead of doing it privately? 
As an employer to employees, do you call them out in front of all the other employees? Do we call our kids out in front of others in public? Or do we do it privately? You know, this is this picture of love always protects, cares for. And Paul goes on then, he says, from love always protects, love always trusts. Interchangeable for the word trust is the word believes. They can be interchangeable. So to trust someone means that you are ever ready to believe the best of him or her. The loved one may have a checkered past or in some other way undeserving of trust, yet true love is able to look past that and meet the need of the individual. When love always trusts, there's no second guessing or questioning of whether the person should be loved. Love is simply given. Love is simply given. We see this picture in Jesus' relationship with the apostle Peter. We see that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem to die on the cross. He tells his disciples this. Peter steps in and he says, never, Jesus, never will I let you die. And if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. And Jesus challenges Peter and he says, Peter, Peter, you know, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You're talking big now, but you're going to deny me three times. And we see soon after, Jesus is being whipped, spit on, slapped around before the high priest. Peter is within sight, warming himself by a fire. And three different people ask him, oh, do you know Jesus? And he denies even knowing him, even though he just spent three years every day and night with him. (laughs) He denies even knowing him. And the cock crows, it says. And it says that Jesus fixed his eyes with Peter's eyes. And Peter ran out and wept because he knew he denied him. He gave him up. I don't even know the man. Can't even spell his name. But yet we see later on in John 21, Peter's out fishing. He's back to fishing. He's not disciple and he's fishing. And Jesus comes along the shoreline and calls out to him after he is resurrected from the dead and calls out. Said, hey, throw it over to the other side. And Peter recognizes it's the Lord and swims in and they're around the campfire making breakfast. And Jesus reinstitutes Peter as his disciple, reaffirms him, expresses his love towards Peter. And this is a picture of love always trusts. Uncle Oscar was apprehensive about his first airplane ride ever. So his friends, they were all eager to hear how Oscar liked the plane ride. 
He said, well, you know, the plane ride was pretty good. You know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but I'll tell you this. I never really did put my full weight down. Well, when it comes to love, always trust. We are called to put all of our weight down. All of our love. Not a portion of it. All of it. Love always protects. Love always trusts. And then thirdly, Love always hopes. It's optimistic. It always points to the brighter day ahead. A confident belief in the unseen. A confident belief that God's promises within our lives will be fulfilled. Always looking to the best in every person. Man, woman, youth, child, right? It means that we never give up on God. We never give up on others. We never give up on ourselves. And we always look to the next day. I love the picture we get in Jeremiah 29, 11, when God speaks to the people who are in exile, the Israelites. They're in slavery in a foreign land. And he says to them, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So even though right now they're in exile, they're in slavery, God is saying, hey, there's a future yet. There is a future. In this minute, look to the next minute. In this hour, remember you got another hour. In this day, look at the next day. In this life, remember, there is eternity, people. Eternity out ahead of you. Love always hopes. A man approached a little league baseball game one afternoon. He asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing, we're losing. The man responded, he says, boy, you must be pretty discouraged. And the boy responded, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even been up to bat yet. <laughs> I mean, this, this right, optimism, this, this hopes, this, this hopes. I love what author Leon Morris said about always hopes, love always hopes. He says this, always hopes is the forward look. Always hopes is the forward look. So today, if you're overwhelmed or disappointed, be filled with hope because it always looks to the opportunity ahead or to the next minute, hour, day, week, whatever it might be. But where is our hope come from? It comes from the Lord. That's where in Jeremiah 29, 11, God was reminding the nation of Israel, you're in this situation But remember where your hope comes from. Remember where your future comes from. It's in the almighty God. And my love wants to put in you, put in you, this ability to always hope. So be filled with that hope. And so love protects. Love always trusts. 
love always hopes. And then he says, love always perseveres. All afflictions, tribulations, temptations, persecutions, and death itself. Love does not quit or give up. Love does not quit or give up. It remains. I love that word. In parallel to love always perseveres. This remains, remains. Back in our backyard, we have two big stones. I mean, they're big stones, right? And throughout our 22 years of living at this home, boy, trees have grown up around these stones. Weeds have grown up and gone around these stones. We've planted stuff around these stones and then they've dug out and we've gotten rid of them. We've put mulch around these stones and then new mulch around, you know, all kinds of things are changing. But you know what? The one thing that has remained, (laughs) the stone. (laughs) I can't move it. I mean, I mean, it's there and it looks the same and acts the same. No matter the season, it's there. Doesn't change with the seasons at all. It remains. And that is a picture of what love should be in our lives. You know, in the wedding vows, a husband and wife take each other for better, worse, rich, poor, sickness, health, love, cherish, from this day forward till what? Death do us part. I mean, the basis of this pledge is what Paul's talking about. That love always perseveres regardless of what happens in those deals, right? We all mail letters. And I I remember every time that the postage stamp, the price goes up, people get like whacked out. You know, they're like, we're going up three cents. And you're like, oh my God, three cents is great. You know, that's unbelievable. But I mean, it's 60 cents to, you know, send a letter or a bill or whatever today, right? So, I mean, if you're sending six things out, you think about, oh, that's 360. You know what I mean? That's like, whoo, that's a little spendy and that. But at least the stamp has one attribute that most of us could emulate, right? That really all of us could emulate. They stick to one thing until they get there, (laughs) right? The stamp sticks to one thing until it gets there. And I think it's a picture of love always perseveres. It's a picture of how we are supposed to live. May we stick to one thing until we see Jesus. And that one thing is to love others in a godly love. To love others with the instructions that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 13. Love others in this way. And if we do so, love will always, always persevere. Love will always Hope, love will always trust, right? And that is the desire. Jesus said this straight up in John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Which is sort of odd when he came on the scene, I'm thinking, 
man, wasn't this like important before? (laughs) But obviously, he's taking it to a new level, this godly love. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, what is Jesus saying? Hey, you will be known when your name is said out in public by your love, your ability to love. You see, we don't have coat of arms hanging on our walls or on our garage doors when people pull up and they're like, oh, that tells the story of who these people are. We don't wear them on our clothing. We don't carry around shields today with the coat of arms on there, right? But what we do carry and what we do have is our ability to love. And so I want to challenge us as we finish this series that the one thing in our lives that is indispensable is love. And oh, how the world would be transformed if we would follow God's instructions through Paul and love, right? Because true love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And let's be these kind of people and live in this kind of love. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is clear and that your love is true and that you have expressed it to us by sending your son Jesus to die for us. And then to call us to love as he has loved. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. And so I pray this love over everyone in here today that they would not only experience it, but also give it to those around them. And so bless them in your holy name. Amen.